welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. I'm back. And today I have a conversation that I've been anticipating with my guest for, God, when did you and I even record the Holiloquy episodes? It's been such a while. Um, <laughs> like last fall? It's like practically nine months. Has so, it been a coastal year? I, I, I think it has been. I think it has been. Um, Anyway, and so I've been, we've been talking about this. So I can't, you guys, I'm so excited. Dr. Vernon T. Scott is 29 years old, but don't be fooled by that because this is an old soul here. And he's from the state of Georgia. He's currently pursuing a sex coaching certification from Sex Coaching University and earning a second master's degree in marriage and family therapy with a systemic sex therapy specialization. If you haven't figured it out, we're going to be talking about sex, baby. (laughs) Vernon has years of experience in life coaching and sexual health research and education. He is also an advocate for trans rights and fighting against rape culture and its systemic impact within society. Vernon plans to use his platform, the Holiloquy podcast, which happens to be where we met, to provide healthy conversations related to the nuances of sexual expression and amplify the voices of those often forgotten by society. Vernon, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Oh, you know, this is the very first, like, let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me <laughs> that I have, ever, that that we've ever done on this podcast. And not because I don't want to talk about sex, but just it hasn't come up. And so I'm so excited that you're, you're my first. <laughs> I love it. But yeah. yeah. Oftentimes, that's how it is in most relationships. Like, that's the one conversation we're always not trying to have. We could talk about uh, our food, finances, the person that they don't like at work, all these things, but we're not going to talk about sex. We'll have it, but we're not going to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up with a sex educator, so I've been talking about sex since I was a really little kid. Um, And so I, I and I'm imagining you were probably this person too, where it was like, I was the person who knew the things. And so like all of the other kids came to me to learn the things because they knew that my mom had taught me all about sex. So it's funny because I I don't know if you had this experience, but I had the experience of I had I talked about it. I grew up in a family that talked about it, but I knew it was taboo. I knew it was like nobody else talked about it. And so it's the kind of this thing where you have to kind of learn how do you navigate, quote, polite society when you know about these kinds of things. But let's go back to young Vernon. And, um, you know, you and I were talking before we got on to on air about identifying as an empath. So let's talk about how do you identify as an empath? When did you realize you were an empath? What was childhood like for you? All those kinds of things. 
Um, ooh, I would say like childhood learning was like the therapist that everybody wanted and needed, um, but never listened to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I was the person that my brother would come to for his relationship issues. And then his girlfriends would come to me about their relationship issues. And I'm just like, why are, why are both of you like coming to me for this? Like I'm only like 10, 11, 12, 13. I don't, why, why? <laughs> I was wondering how, I was wondering how at 29, you, um, you know, the comment that you've been doing this for, for, a you know, for a fairly long time. And I was like, wow, he must've been a baby when he started. And he was like, yeah, you were a baby when yes. you started. Yeah. Yes. And I think through helping my brother and his relationship things, my cousins, and even, um, listening to some of the adults and some of the things they would complain about as well as complain about to me. Um, and I may provide feedback every now and again, just like, I don't understand auntie. I don't, I don't, I am 13 years old. <laughs> I'm not supposed to understand, but just being in those spaces helped me realize that I really do connect with a lot of people on a deep level and people yeah. are very open to coming to me about their issues and just going at it and just having those conversations. And some do listen, uh, even whenever I was at a grocery store or at the mall and I'm minding my business, sometimes people just walk up to me and sit down and start having these conversations. And I'm just like, one, who are you? Two, why did you sit in front of me? Three, why are you going this deep? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, airport at LaGuardia. <laughs> Total stranger. Right. And like, I found myself uh, connecting with um, the, the, the show Charmed, um, the sister Phoebe, um, mm -hmm. her abilities and um, how she maneuvered through life, even the aspect of wanting to be a, an advice columnist. Mm -hmm. All of the things I connected with uh, as a very young child, uh, because I saw myself in that. I saw myself in uh, how she connected with other people as well as um feeling those emotions of other people whenever they do come to you like there's been moments where i'm not stressed or anything i'm not feeling fearful and then next thing you know my skin is vibrating and i'm just like what in the world is going on yeah like i'm not anxious there's nothing that's triggering me why am i in this state of uh existence in this moment exactly and then i realize there's somebody near me and they're just not all there right now. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, so many things you just taught, you just pulled out that I think so many of us who identify as empaths can relate to the total strangers coming up to us and going really deep and telling us things that they don't tell anybody else. And also that experience of, you know, you nailed it, that experience of you're fine nothing is going on with you. You're just minding your own business. And then all of a sudden, it's like, why are my spidey senses tingling? Why am I suddenly feeling this intensely? Why is all of this going on? I also love that you wanted to be an advice columnist. I actually, you know, when I was a young kid, um, you know, we had the newspaper columns, you know, of like Ann Landers and then her sister, Dear Abby, but we read the Ann Landers. And, um, you know, I remember wanting to be Ann Landers, like wanting to be able to write an advice column. I thought that would be the coolest thing ever. Yeah. 
it would have been so amazing. I still have that dream, um, but we'll hold off on to on that until I get myself a little bit more stable after uh, interning and all those great things. Um, because there's there's so much value to advice columns, even if it is through like podcast formats or whatever the case is. Sometimes people just are looking for someone to actually see their problems and acknowledge yeah. their problems. And just even though like for myself, I don't believe in telling people this is exactly what you need to do, but providing them with multiple options of, for them to choose from uh, and even having those deep conversations about, hey, if you do choose this and this may be an outcome, this may be an outcome and all those great things. But just giving them that uh, full thought to acknowledge like, hey, you got a lot going on. Here's yeah, some yeah. solutions. Here's some uh, possible outcomes that may um, come out a result of you taking these, um, making those decisions uh, and then letting them go on their way. And so many people benefit from that, even if you did not write the letter yourself, uh, but you listened to it and it uh, and you saw some of your situations and what that other person is going through. It helps you identify, OK, maybe. Whatever is going on in my life here, I can make some changes so that I can have a different outcome. Yes. Yes. So um, I'm just thinking like, you know, how did you at first, you've got these like you're 10 years old and you have family members coming to you with their deepest, darkest, like intensest stuff. How did you, did you just, did you just have this, like, were you wise beyond your years, which obviously at this point you seem to be. But were you like, how did you even know what to do? Like the fact that you're 10 and these adults are coming to you with their problems. Like, what did you say? Um, sometimes um, I have to say, I don't know who I was in my past life. They just uh, kept some nuggets with me in this new life. And mm -hmm. I appreciate them for doing that. Um, but sometimes it would just be looking at and dissecting a lot of the things that I see on TV. Um, then there's like, I've always been a strategic and uh, systematic thinker. So, mm -hmm. uh, I will always play out certain situations to see how certain things will develop. Most definitely, you know a person very well. You understand how they will react emotionally to certain things. So if I, I will factor in, okay, if I say it this way, or if I, if um, they were to do this, this will be the outcome of that because of who they are. So I will put that in perspective as well as um, focus on what I do know at that age and figure out how I can articulate it. Because at the same time with me being uh, at a young age, I still haven't experienced a lot of life. And even acknowledging that, hey, whatever I say may be incorrect. Like even when I was um, uh, coaching, uh, most definitely with college students, I will let them know, hey, this is what I'm getting here. I may be incorrect here because this is your lived experience and I don't live in your body and your emotions. But this is what I'm getting <laughs> mm. from what I'm getting. It sounds to me that this is the problem <laughs> and some of this is on you to fix. But there's also certain things that are happening outside of you with this other person that you also have to acknowledge and then go from there. Sometimes they will let me know, oh, no, that doesn't sound right at all. And then they will explain themselves further, which is always a great thing. Yes. Um, they will just be like, OK, I did not come here to be personally attacked, uh, Mr. Scott. 
So <laughs> what we're not going to do is continue that conversation. <laughs> but we will always continue the conversation because it's a space of growth whenever any person ever came to see me. Yeah. So it's like always factoring what I know, what I've seen with other people, um, because I have a very diverse friend group and we talk about a lot of things and I can relate some people's situations to what some of my friends experience and let them know, hey, I haven't done this myself. I have not experienced this. I have a friend who experienced something similar to what you're going through. Do you feel like that's something that's really related to you? And then let them know what my friends did or, or didn't do. And see, and then we can figure out if that's something that's more beneficial to them. And that's essentially what I had to do <laughs> at 10 and 11 and all those other things. And, you know, what I love about what you're saying, and I think that we can all, every one of us really can benefit from doing this as many, as much as possible, which is your mileage may vary. Your lived experience may be different than what I'm seeing. This is my perspective that I'm offering you. Take what you like, leave the rest, use it to your benefit. But like, I may be right, I may be wrong. And I love the fact that you are listening, mirroring, acknowledging, but not getting into the, I mean, not getting into mansplaining and not getting into that idea of, I know what's right for you. Because I think, unfortunately, you know, I mean, this is a whole rabbit hole we could go down about just the fields of psychotherapy and the way that so many psychotherapists were taught their bedside manner, their approach is one of authority and taking away somebody's personal power and kind of like perceiving or labeling somebody in a way that just is sort of I don't know, like there's definitely like an us versus them hierarchy within a lot of the old school mental health world. I mean, yes. I think there is a lot of really wonderful, wonderful counselors, but there's also that kind of vulnerability of, oh my God, I'm going to share this really deep thing about myself and I'm going to be really vulnerable. Is this person going to call me crazy? Is this person going to judge me? Yes, and you know... That same aspect is what um, drew me to marriage and family therapy and the models I plan on using as a therapist because um, the approach that I see, well, that I want to use going forward, I'm not the expert in the room. The client is the expert and I mm. get my guidance from them. And I love those approaches because, yeah, I have experiences, I have the credentials, I have everything and I have had you know, the experience throughout my life to present myself as an expert on a lot of things. But my expertise has nothing to do with what this person lived through. I need to figure that out. I need to understand them. So giving them that space gives them the main, they get the autonomy of how the um, the sessions go. Yes, I have my input. Yes, I have uh, a way of guiding them through their process, but it's not me taking ownership of uh, how they live their lives. And that's the difference between a lot of the psychotherapy practices that um, people utilize today uh, is that, oh, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. And right. We're going to work through that. No, you tell me what's wrong. 
You tell me exactly how I can help you by giving me your story. Let me figure out what's going on. Let me see the dynamics of your relationships with your partners or even your relationship to yourself so that we can figure out how things are working for you and see how we together can fix that. Because this is a partnership. (laughs) You're paying me (laughs) to help you. And my goal is to make sure that you're getting the help that you need. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Well, and I'm just thinking in some ways, if we come into any conversation as a helper with us, you know, where we are passing judgment or making like there's a point where we're going to be making assumptions based on our own lived experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we don't really like like even I was just thinking about, you know, with with like like sex and, you know, sex therapy and like really being in the arena of relationships and sexuality. It's like, if you're perceiving things through the lens of a cisgendered, heterosexual, monogamous person, there's going to be assumptions about, there may be assumptions about what somebody wants. But if you have a polyamorous, you know, queer person who also happens to be kinky or something and they start talking about things that to this one person vanilla person for lack of a better word is listening to um they may think that oh this is you know like what they just described is like this like this like having multiple partners or being in a DS relationship is the problem when that's completely copacetic. That's not what the problem is at all. You know, the problem may be that one of the partners is not doing the dishes. <laughs> there needs right. to be better boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's like we really do have to take a step outside of our own um, perspective. Like, um, <laughs> It's like whenever I go online and people are talking about, oh, how can this person be a sex expert? And not, I hate that word, to be honest, but how can it, this it, person... it, it, it sounds I don't know. It sounds it just immediate like sex expert, S-P-S-P-U-R-T. Right, right. It's such a weird word, but it's, like, it's a really weird word. It's kind of gross. You're like. Well, uh, I'm having sex. I've been having sex for like uh, all of my life. Well, that's that's a different kind of conversation. We're not going into that. I've been having sex since I've been 18, 19, blah, 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 blah. And I'm um, 40 now. You can't tell me anything about sex that I already don't know. No, that's not how that works. Uh, like uh, many people think that, oh, just because I'm engaging in this thing, I know about it. And I had to break this down to family members as well as some people online. There's a practicality uh, that goes within expertise, meaning you have been practicing. <laughs> that can be, ex- uh, there's experiential a component, meaning that you've been having sex, but that's not an uh, automatic requirement. And there's the academic uh, aspect of expertise too, that yeah. we always have to look into. Uh, and when you actually sit in that space and gain those things, your perspective on sexuality and how other people engage completely shifts. Mm-hmm. Like um, if someone were to come to me about an uh, issue within their relationship because one partner wants to um, be more kinky and this other person wants uh, wants them not to be that. Yeah, we're going to identify other types of problems within a relationship before we even address the kink side of things. Right. And we'll 
get to that, it's time to have some conversations about what these kinks are. So that means the person that's uh, against it, we're going to have a conversation of what their misunderstandings are about the kink round for the person who's looking to engage in it them have that conversation about boundaries for their partner <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. they may not ever want to engage in that. So now we're having uh, conversations about ethical non-monogamy after that. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Or whether the relationship is an appropriate relationship to continue. I mean, exactly. in some ways, it seems like whether it's one person wants to have kids and the other person doesn't want to have kids or want, you know, like like it's really more about what is the boundary of what's more important, being able to have the thing you want or being in the relationship with this person? And is the relationship really aligned or is this a fundamental difference between the two of you that needs to be acknowledged? And, you know, and how do you part graciously? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, I think, you know, as you were talking about as you're talking about just like, I mean, I think it's ironic anybody perceiving themselves as like, like sort of the idea that having had sex yourself is somehow going to make you like that there's nothing to learn from this. Because if there's one thing I've learned over the years I've been alive is that sexuality is as, indi- you know, sexuality is like a snowflake. It's as, in- it, it, as individual as the human being that like there's no such thing as like this is how it works for everybody and i actually think that in many ways especially like for women there's so much misinformation about sexuality and sexual pleasure that a lot of women are like they don't even like they're sort of like they're looking for the this one experience and it's not even what their body does and mm-hmm. so like, I don't know. It's just sort of ironic if somebody thinks because they've been having sex for like 25 years or 30 or 40 years that somehow they know it all. It's like, I wouldn't even presume that I would know it all. I want to talk a little bit about the impact of being an empath on sex and particularly like, you know, and maybe talking about it, like, I'd love to talk about your personal experience with that. And I'd also love, yeah, like, let's start. And and then I'd like to talk about kind of the broader ramifications. But can we start with you and just mm-hmm. like being and I and identified as an empath? How do you imagine or see being an empath has affected your relationships or, you know, or basically sex for you? So I will say a lot of it is knowing when uh, what emotions are yours and what's those that you're taking from that encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, because along with identifying as an empath, I also identify as a hoe and I'm proud of it. So <laughs> Yeah, you even have, you guys, Vernon even has a book that you can get over on Amazon specifically about being a hoe called the essential guide on how to be a hoe (laughs) but if you're looking for it it is by his pen name slater jackson yes yeah um like with with uh over the years i recognize that one i it is always important to honor your own feelings and your emotions first. Yep. Understanding, okay, this is how I'm feeling. Um, understanding, okay, I'm horny. I uh, I want to engage in sexual intercourse with somebody. What can I actually 
emotionally handle in this moment. If if it's only somebody coming over to cuddle, then don't do anything more than that. If um, make sure you have somebody and have that conversation and trust with those people to understand that this is what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for anything more then let's go ahead and engage in this cuddle session. Is it if you're feeling emotionally detached in the moment, <laughs> uh, which does happen sometimes, um, most definitely if you are being given so many other people's emotions throughout the day that you just have to bring it, separate yourself from that. And you just want something that is just uh, physical only. There's no talking. There's no like any back and forth there. The person know what job they're needing to do then contact that person and uh, again, make sure that your safety is always uh, at the forefront within that. It's somebody that you do trust on some level and that you're comfortable with engaging only physically with this person. But the issue comes in when those cuddle hormones, um, (laughs) that oxytocin shows its head um, in being able to understand, okay, the reason why I'm feeling this deep connection with this person is because I had an orgasm. It's because I had pleasure. And I mentioned orgasm because that thing right there would really mess up your emotions. It will really Mm -hmm. help you thinking as though that you love this person when you just love the sex that you just had. So, Always, always recognize when it's the orgasm speaking and not you speaking. Yeah, Um, orgasms are like a glamour. You know, (laughs) it's like they make everything look so much better. And that's one of the things that I've, as I've gotten older, because I mean, uh, when I was a younger person, I was very like, I'm a feminist. I'm, I'm like, you know, the hell with this idea of girls need to wait. And so I was very quick to jump into bed with people. But over time, I learned that as soon as there's that ecstasy, as soon as there's that that exchange of bliss, you love them. It doesn't like or at least you think you love them. And so I found that it really, really, really helps to hit the pause button for a little while in order to get clear about whether this was a place where I really wanted to go there. Because once, once sex is, once sex is in the equation, it's like all, all bets are off. We make really dumb decisions. All the time. And make really dumb decisions. You know, (laughs) as you're speaking, I'm reading between the lines or I'm listening and I'm like, this is hard one wisdom. Like, I'm like, there is probably a time because I'm hearing like, you like a you know what you want and that's a really big thing but b i'm imagining that there is a way in which like you're having safe sane and consensual relationships with people and connections with people where there is a certain amount of like you're hooking up from a place of both parties know what's going on and that involves a level of communication and so if you're willing, I'd love to hear about the 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 like the hot mess period before or the foibles before you realize this was necessary. Like, how did you get yourself in trouble? <laughs> if you don't mind sharing. <laughs> that is going through some things. But I would say a lot of it stems from uh, when I lost my virginity uh, at 19. After doing that, I went through a very hypersexual phase 
Uh, and with doing so, I was on, uh, this was back in the Craigslist days when you can actually find a hookup on there. Y'all, it's okay to judge me. I judge myself, but I appreciate that younger version of myself because I found some great things in the process of hoeing. Well, and but, it was what was available at that point in time. I mean, you know, I don't know if Grinder or any of those kinds of things existed or what is a Tinder? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, my, uh, yeah. You had to do what you had to do. Yeah, you do what you do. Yeah. So um, within that, I um, I will say Grinder was a thing too because I did find some people off Grinder too yeah. that I was able to connect with. Like the person I lost my virginity to, I uh, met on Grinder, uh, and even within that, I let them know um, like how I was feeling. I was a little bit nervous, and they actually was very kind, and uh, it was a very gentle process, uh, and. I made that a standard for myself um, that if someone's not willing to be patient with me, that means I don't need to engage with them because uh, I will not feel safe with them. And I always made sure that I honored that uh, most definitely within that hypersexual stage of my life. That's really huge. Like the fact that you even at the very beginning had the self-esteem and the boundaries to be able to know if somebody's not respecting my is not willing to respect my limits or not willing to respect my boundaries. Uh, this is a no de- this is a deal breaker. Like mm-hmm. sadly, I know so many empaths who get so sucked into the whirlpool of desire for connection or the or the illusion of connection because they're picking up the energy from that other person mm-hmm. that like their boundaries go out the window. So I love that even from the very beginning, you had a certain set of, you had some self, for lack of a better word, you had some self-respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I will say slowly after that, um, because horniness is a drug, people. It is yes, a, it is. <laughs> it will mess up your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it will make you make very dumb decisions, people. Very dumb yeah. decisions. <laughs> And after after that, though I had my standard of what I was looking for, I found that a little bit harder to find. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to lower the standards a little bit more. And as I was doing that, I was finding more people I could hook up with. And my body count went from zero um, to, like I think, eight or 10 people uh, within the span of eight months. And by the the last hookup, I almost went to jail. Um, because <laughs> so what happened was, um, thank you. I was like, spill, <laughs> spill. I want to hear this. Um, I was this was back in college, this was my sophomore year, and it was right before. Um, well, actually, I still was doing the things after this but this made me shift my approach again so i'm probably on body number six at this point um but we it was getting close to finals um and the next day i had a um 10 a.m final um and somebody responded to my craigslist ad they wanted to hook up they said that they won't be able to host at their place but they know spot and i was like okay let's try this out um and i drove about 30 minutes away um picked them up from their uh, their house and then we went to this park and (laughs) (laughs) while hooking up in that park's bathroom um uh, the there's there was just nothing but blue lights and yeah after yeah. that 
<laughs> had to have a conversation with the police officer about why my car was there, as well as why we were in the bathroom, what was going on. And I think the only reason why the police officer was not as harsh as he could have been was because I told him that the reason why I would not bring a woman to a bathroom to have sex with her is because I had more respect for women than I do. I have men. And he was like, I respect that because I have a daughter. And I was like, okay, <laughs> look at that. <laughs> but my mind has shifted. I have equal respect for men and women at this mm-hmm. point. But that those days, it was just like, for me and men, it's just a body. So um, <laughs> now I um, see, you know, people as people too. But yeah, yeah. that's a part of healing. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and a part of of breaking out of like the gender prisons that not only affect the way, like just affect everything about us, the way we relate to other people, the assumptions we make about ourselves, the assumptions we make about other people. Like, you know, I mean, there's so much, I think there's just so much, um, oh God, I can't think of the word, but basically it's like, you know, when we've, when we, Stockholm syndrome, like when mm-hmm. we've taken it on ourselves. It it sort of it I don't know it kind of makes sense that that in some ways like that 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 trope or that stereotype of you know hooking up in the bathroom like going to the bathhouses you know like that's what our culture like that's the values that are placed on male you know male hookups at mm-hmm. times so I agree and yeah. like after all of those and I. Um, those experiences, I had to take a step and actually think about who I am and who I said I was going to be as a sexual being and all of those great things. And I recognized that, okay, I'm doing too much right now. I'm mm-hmm. doing more than I should be. I'm not focusing on my education. Like, uh, like I'm paying for this. So <laughs> I'm not really focusing on my education, but I'm um, applying so much my attention towards hooking up with people and that's not what I'm here for yeah so I start to reflect on that and I decided to be celibate or abstinent whichever one is interchangeable in my, my mind but uh, I took a break from sex just to focus on me and me alone and figure out why I was behaving the way I was behaving uh, what I want for like sex to look like and what standards i'm going to set for myself and honor um like even to this day i will not hook up with somebody who cannot reciprocate any of the like conversations that i'm having or even if um if it's like solely for a physical hookup if they can't share face pic i'm i'm open to them sending me like a body picture because i do love a good body and that can be a chubby body skinny body whatever the case is if i'm like oh my god i want to like snuggle on that then we will be hooking up but like if that's something that's not going to happen i'm not going to pull up i'm not going to come meet you if you cannot have an actual conversation if you are always angry or if you're always like at a point of contention I'm not going to meet up with you. Like Mm -hmm. even I've experienced people who may have no facts on their profile and they will message me. And I'm just like, I'm not what you're looking for. Yeah. Like, I'm glad that you found me attractive because look at me. But at the same time, I'm not going to belittle myself for your sexual gratification when you on your uh, public profile has already told me that you don't want anybody that looks like me. We're not doing that. So it's like honoring myself by respecting my boundaries that I've set for myself in sexual and sexual encounters 
And that's also a way that I protect my energy uh, as well as protect my emotions from anything or any persons who will want to actively uh, discharge their emotional ills onto me or um, through the sexual experience. Mm. You just said a really, really big mouthful there in that like, I mean, sex is such an interesting thing because it the motives for why we have sex are so frequently t- fraught with so much more than just getting off and just experiencing pleasure. And so often I think also that because we do not live in a particularly emotionally intelligent culture and we don't necessarily live in a call. And like, I mean, we were saying at the very beginning, most people don't even talk about sex. They aren't comfortable talking about it. It's not something that we discuss. But then also, like, we take it down to, like, you know, a couple layers, a couple layers deeper. And it's like, you know, you have all of these, like, my dad never paid attention to me. Therefore, I'm seeking all these men to give me attention. And you know, I was bullied as a child and people called me fat. So I want people to tell me that I'm beautiful. And, you know, and that somehow the idea of the more people that we can get, like, you know, like notches on the belt, the more, um, the more indication of like that we're looking, you know, that, that we are, we're getting the approval, that we're getting the validation, that we're getting the acknowledgement. I mean, and I think that, so often people aren't even in touch with like, what's really making you tick? Why do you really want to be hooking up with this person? So, you know, so I guess, you know, we talked about like, how do you know what's going on under the hood? How do you recognize what's like driving your bus? And you obviously spoke about taking some time off, like pulling away. And I just have to say, hearing you talk about being 19 and your journey, I'm like, yeah, I can relate. <laughs> um, I can relate. And I also went through periods where I was like, you know what? I just need to focus on what's important and sex is too distracting for me. Mm-hmm. So, but how do you, how do you know what's going on under the hood for you? Uh, I would say self-awareness is so important. Um, whenever I see myself doing things that I'm not typically doing, uh, if I'm starting to shirk my responsibilities, if I'm starting to uh, not meet the commitments that I have for myself, or if I even find myself foregoing my own boundaries in order to engage in something that I know that I probably might not even enjoy, it's yes. time for me to have a reality check. Like, sir, what is going on with you? What are you doing today? <laughs> what are you doing today? Yeah. Yeah. I flunked out of um, well, fortunately, they gave me grace and they let me stay. But I flunked out of the um, first semester of my freshman year in art school in, Cle- in you know, in Cleveland because uh, I had hooked up with this kid and we were just like we were both going for a degree in like, um, I don't know, like mattresses or something. <laughs> and just <laughs> we spent a lot of time on our back or I spent a lot of time on my back and uh and, and, you know, and but at that age, I was so intoxicated with need and with just wanting, wanting validation, wanting affection, wanting attention that I didn't even have the self-esteem or the wherewithal to like understand that my behavior was directly connected to why I was not succeeding in art school. You know, fortunately, we broke up and I kind of like really got my shit together and managed to like get through the second semester with, you know, gracefully. But, um, 
it's so easy to lose ourselves. Mm -hmm. I'm just impressed, honestly, that it even at like that you at the age of 19, you kind of had gave yourself a come to Jesus moment and you listened. Yeah, I say a lot of that stems from me being alone a lot as a child. Mm -hmm. So I had to become comfortable with loneliness. I also had to become comfortable with just being with myself uh, and having those real conversations. Um, I told somebody before I can literally be in a room with myself in a goldfish and be happy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, like with, with the pandemic, I was not one of those people who was uh, falling into, into the depression mm -hmm. just because I had to be at home. Yeah. Um, like even, I wish I had a lot more control of my living environment at that time, but even with that lack of control, I still found peace in the, the my surroundings. Um, and even a conversation I had with my brother um, recently, he asked me what I look for when it comes to a home. And I told him, it's not about the location, Per se, there's the internal piece that I'm looking for, meaning inside my apartment, I have that, but I also want that external piece. So whenever I go outside of my apartment uh, or my house, it's not too noisy, it's not too much things going on. I can still feel and breathe. Mm -hmm. And that is also the same thing uh, I look for uh, internally, like within mm -hmm. my spirit to understand whenever I'm all together whenever I'm thrown off because if I don't have my internal peace, there's a problem. We need to address those problems, figure out what's going on there. And is, is this a problem that I can solve or is this a problem I have to remove myself from? Is Okay, I want to pull that out because that is just, is this a problem that I can solve or is this a problem I can remove myself from? Mm -hmm. That question alone is like worth the price of admission. <laughs> <laughs> yes like um a, a problem that i can solve yeah. usually is like okay i'm trying to get to know this person mm -hmm. uh and the problem is i'm not being i'm not reciprocating um what they're telling me i'm not listening to them i'm not uh communicating my needs as much these are things that are within my circle of control these are certain things that i can change now, something I, I might have to remove myself from using a similar relationship. This person's not willing to communicate. They're not willing to respect my boundaries. They're not willing to um, change behaviors in order for us to be on the same level of how we're respecting each other. I can't change that other person, but I can change my relationship to that person. So I may have to remove myself from that relationship so I can uh, make sure I have that internal peace because you cannot get internal peace from anything that's external you can only get that from what you have control over and we do not control other people as much as we want to do that as much as we uh, fight to do that be it we, um, by law policy or whatever the case is at the end of the day you cannot control any other person they can only control themselves so you can only factor in what you have control over within yourself and then make the adjustments as needed. Mm, mm, mm. The just you cannot, and I just, I just, I'm going to repeat this because there is such power in these words. You cannot control any other person. You can only control the choices that you make about that person and your own behavior and your own actions. Preach. <laughs> 
But yeah, like yeah. I, I'm a firm believer in communicating, and you just have to make sure, always acknowledge this is other person. Most definitely, when it comes to uh, your impor- important relationships, if the other person is unwilling to listen, they're telling you exactly what they want. Yes, 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 absolutely. Well, and. I certainly, I mean, as a younger woman, and hopefully women are getting a little bit more savvy to this than they were when I was, or than I was when I was this age. If I was presented with the sort of the, the, what somebody was telling me, what somebody was doing in terms of their behavior, and then what they were, what it felt like to be engaging with, you know, in in an intimate relationship with them and how it felt to be connecting to them. If as a younger person, I would tend to go with the what it felt like to be connecting with them, even if behavior wise, they were not being respectful or they were they were like, come here, come here, go away, go away, because that was one of my MOs um, with people was being attracted to the emotionally unavailable, whole other story. Um, but a lot of times they would be very clear with their language. Like I did not, I did not tend to be attracted to like, oh, baby, 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 I'm so into you. And then they were lying to me about it. I tended to be attracted to people who were like, I'm not ready for a commitment. I'm not interested in a commitment. Mm. I don't want to do this right now. I'm just getting out of a relationship. You're lovely, but, and I would hear those words and then end up in bed anyway and believe that the feeling was stronger than the truth. Ooh, Ooh you're speaking to the crowd on that one. <laughs> uh-huh, I know. <laughs> or at least I hope I am. Hopefully I'm not the only bonehead when it comes to this thing. But it yeah. took me, I mean, I have to say, like, it took me a really long time to get to the point where it's like, if they say something, believe them. Because, yeah. like, that really is what it is. It's like, does not matter. Like, other, everything else is a bargain on our part to try to get it to work the way we want it to work. Yeah. I agree. Like, I know even for myself, like, in the situation that I'm in now, uh, like, I listen to the things that they say. I look at the actions that they perform and all that. I take all that into consideration about how much I'm willing to put up with as well as continue with things. But I also recognize over the years that um, many of the relationships that I was choosing to engage in were those that I did not have to worry about having those deep connections with. Because mm-hmm. one, this person may be married and I'm not even going into deep about what the hell is going on in their relationship, but I can only focus on what's going on between me and that person. Or um, people who, um, like one of the people I'm casually dating, they're in a polyamorous relationship. And with that, I they understand that I'm not going to be their long-term partner after the year that I'm spending here in Atlanta. And they understand that. The other people that I've been engaged with, they understand that this is temporary. But it's like within those conversations that we've had, we can we can mark the status of our relationships now so that we can have a full understanding of where things are going to go. Um, But in the past, I was more than willing to create a facade of this a possibility that this person may want to engage with me more. I know that they're not going to leave their partner. I know that they're not going to um, be as serious with me, but at least 
I know that they well the image that I put up at least I know that they'll be willing to uh, facilitate a need that I have when I want it. And it never really worked out that way because I still have to work around those other things. So I was purposely putting myself in situations to be unhappy rather than um, fostering relationships and connections that work along where I am today. Yes, yes, yes. And just the willingness to, I mean, you spoke about You spoke volumes about the willingness to be lonely, the willingness to sit. And for me, there was a really, when I was in graduate school, I experienced a real shift within me where I had spent probably the first 30 years of my life feeling lonely if I wasn't around another human being. Mm -hmm. And then it really transformed for me into, and that meant I spent a lot of time lonely because I wasn't around human beings all the time. But then it like it really transformed from loneliness to solitude. And it's been such a blessing because, you know, at this point, at the age of 60, it's been pretty much almost like half my life that I spent lonely and the other half of my life that I've been experiencing solitude. And but that ability to sit with ourselves is such an important part of it, because if we can't sit with ourselves, we're going to make bad decisions. Mm, that part. Yeah. So Vernon, I told you we'd come to this moment where I would be like, <laughs> oh my God, I cannot believe how fast the time has gone. And I mean, what is going to make time go faster than talking about sex? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what else do we really like? What else is really, really, really important? for this pot, for this interview, for this, for this episode, this conversation, what Uh, else do you want to be sure we talk about? I will say whatever it is that you're doing out there, make sure that you continue to honor yourself and respect honoring yourself. Um, because it's easy to say, I'm going to do this tomorrow. It is easy to say, I will start doing this next week, next year, at the beginning of the year at that. Um, but it's not easy to say, I'm going to actually start it today. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to do it. Sometimes you have to be willing to make the, uh, I hate to say that as a sacrifice uh, because it will always feel like a sacrifice choosing yourself because you understand when you choose yourself, you're losing something else. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, uh, I get that. It feels like a sacrifice is always a gain. When you can gain yourself and you can gain the appreciation of feeling whole, Nothing will ever beat that. When you're whole, you can't take away from it. You cannot tear away from it. You can only be what that is. And you will never really want to find anything that will take away your wholeness. You don't want to find anything that will remove you even 1%. What you will actually appreciate going forward is having things that adds to it. I'm mm-hmm. at 100. You just brought me to 102. It feels great. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Well, and one of the things that I'm thinking as I'm listening to you is the recognizing the difference between gratification and true well-being. Mm. Because when I was in graduate school, I, I'm so grateful for my friend Ross, who just, you know, sitting in a hot tub with him. And I was like, when am I going to find my boo? And he was like, Jennifer, you're in graduate school. You have to get through graduate school. 
You can't be looking for your boo while you're in graduate school because you don't have the priority. You don't have the time, the energy or the resources to do both of those things. And you invested a lot of money in getting that degree. Go for your master's degree. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) But it was like, I really, up until that point, nobody had ever spelled it out for me. I really, and, and being neurospicy and, um, and time challenged, like the idea that like, oh, you can work in graduate, you can work on your, your master's degree and writing your like integrative paper, you know, or you can date like that didn't even occur to me that they would be mutually exclusive. And, but for me, putting like making like my long-term need and my long-term goal of getting that degree um, was much more important. And that truly was making myself the priority and my well-being my priority as opposed to the instant gratification that I would have gotten from a hookup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Oh, isn't that the beauty? <laughs> yeah. So Every time I do this, one of the things I really love to do at the end of each podcast is do a little bit of time traveling, because I really do believe that podcasts exist outside of time. They are going to be listened to for many, many years after we are gone, or at least after we've stopped doing this recording. And uh, I believe not only do they go into the future, but they have this ability to broadcast messages back into the past. So what I love to do is think of it as like, we're going to send a broadcast, a telegram, a message, maybe like a Obi-Wan Kenobi in the, you know, or Princess Leia talking to Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars or something, but with a little hologram, we're going to go back to a time when Vernon really needs to hear something. So two questions, what time frame, what Vernon are we going back to? Who are we going to check in with? And what does he need to hear? What 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 are you going to tell him? I will go back to Vernon, who recently lost his mother, and just to not know what's going on in the world. Mm. Um, I will say to that younger version version of Vernon that and how old is he? Um, leave. I was thirteen. Thirteen. Oh. Continue to love yourself. Um, it's a hard time. Do not let others fight shame in who you are. Do not feel shame of being the child that has no mother anymore. Do not feel as though that you will never find happiness. Lean on those people who continue to love you, those who are new to you, who adopt you and bring you into their family and who shows you care. Um, be happy to have them. Be joyous to have them. Um, Honor your relationship to yourself. Always love on yourself. Always hug on yourself and always appreciate yourself more than any other person can ever do for you because that strength and love is always going to outwin any of the darkest days. And just know that the older version of yourself will always love you. Mm, That is so beautiful. Oh, <laughs> so how do we get in touch with you? Um, if anyone would like to get in touch with me, that you can find me on Instagram at your fave host is spelled U R F A V H E A U X S T. 
Um, you can also find me at Slater's Playhouse dot um, com. Um, you can find me at the Holy Loki podcast um, that will also have my social media links. And it's also Slater's Playhouse on YouTube. But yep, that's my social. And you're on the TikTok, too. Oh, and TikTok, Slater's Playhouse. Actually, I'm rebranding it. It's going to be your fave host sometimes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um and outside of that, um, you may, well, depending on when this episode airs, you can also, if you're out there and you're in the state of Georgia and you're looking for a therapist, you may be able to find Vernon uh, just by going to psychology today. So <laughs> there's that too. Awesome. 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 Well, this is definitely going to be airing within this next year. So for people who are looking for a short-term um, therapist who's really, really gets it about this being a collaboration, not a power over situation and who really wants to talk and and somebody who really gets it about sex and families and syst- family systems and all that fun stuff. You can find Vernon in Atlanta at this point in time. Yes. Ah, oh, Vernon, this conversation, as I knew it would be, has been so delicious and rich and wonderful thank you for bringing your beautiful beautiful soul to us and thank you so much for talking about sex yeah thank you for having me (laughs) as we come to the end of this episode i'd love to hear what you're taking from this show please jump over to empathicmasteryshow.com to leave your comments In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time, hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.